the best sellers spend 80% of their sales motion on needs recognition. Mm -hmm. um, they don't move on until there's clearly been a mutual understanding that a, a need does in fact exist. Not necessarily a need to, to buy your product or service, but a need to make a change. And that need is clearly defined and understood by both sides. Hey everyone, George Soto here and you're watching Demo Diaries. Today I'm joined by my good friend, Sean Shepard, who is Managing Director at U+. Sean, how are you, man? It's been a while. Actually, what, it been like, I guess, pre-COVID? <laughs> well, obviously. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think we did a little podcast a few months back, but no, I, we haven't talked much. How you yeah. doing? Yeah. Oh, de definitely, definitely. I miss seeing you in person though, man. I think I the last time was at Growth Marketing Conference. You were speaking there. So it's yeah. Good. Yeah, totally. Well, you know, the world is, the world's changed, you know. <laughs> it's a sure. different place. Absolutely. Oh, why don't you uh, take a quick second and just tell folks a, a quick synopsis of your background. How'd you get into technology? Because you've been in the game for a while now. Yeah, um, I was raised in technology. My father was an executive at Intel. Uh, you know, for 20 plus years and the CEO of a few semiconductor companies here in Silicon Valley, where I was, I was, I was raised. And so I've always been in and around technology. I've always enjoyed the promise of technology and what it does to help uh, the world. Um, I'm, I'm easily excited by the bright and shiny new things that technology creates. Um, and so I felt like um, after finishing my golf career, because I played golf in college and I played professionally for a couple of years, um, that, um, you know, my superpower was, was, you know, my ability to help others get what they want. And I wanted to be able to do that through technology. Um, I'm not a technologist per se. I, I, you know, I'm not a coder. I like to make the joke that I can't even spell HTML. But, um, but I know how to use technology to help people get what they want. And so I've, I've built my career um, as a selling founder and co-founder and tech entrepreneur and a big believer in the professionalization of sales and how it should be elevated to its rightful place in society alongside being a doctor or an accountant or an engineer or a lawyer. Well, not a lawyer. Um, <laughs> um, and so I've spent most of my career trying to become as um, knowledgeable and skilled as possible as a professional salesperson. Because when you talk to any great leader in business, they will tell you that the most critical part of their organization is the sales organization. Um, but society doesn't view it that way. And I think that goes back to the retail experience we have in sales, um, you know, pushy people who may not be very ethical, who aren't very well trained, who are driven by trying to close deals as opposed to helping people get what they want. And so I've, I've made it part of my mission to, um, to change the way people view it and help professionalize the industry uh, and provide the right kinds of learning experiences and, and uh, educational opportunities to, uh, to make that happen. Well, 
first of all, I'm not sure I can play you in golf now. You're going to make me look silly. So I'm just, I'm just <laughs> like I've been trying for years and then now there's a golf course down the street. So it's a little easier. But uh, if you if you promise not to make me look too bad, then uh, uh, then maybe we'll do it when you come on. Down I promise, brother. Golf is uh, about the social experience. All the, right. The beauty of golf is that you don't have to be an equal level with the people you play with to enjoy it. Right. You're playing yeah. the golf course. You're not playing me. Um, and as long as and where else can you drink and drive for five hours on somebody else's lawn? Fair enough. Um, there's no, not, nothing better. <laughs> awesome. Well, you've been in sales for quite a long time since the 90s. Right. And, yeah. you know, if you think about enterprise selling, how has that motion sort of evolved since those days? And of course, outside of technology, technologies disrupted so many things, but there seems to be always be these like fundamental truths that have existed. But how have you seen that, that whole sort of motion evolve? Yeah, I, I think, I think the biggest fundamental change is because of the internet and the, uh, the, the easy access to information um, uh, at the fingertips of sales organization professionals about their prospects, about their customer segments. There's never been more of it, right? Um, and so I believe that um, as a result, fundamentally, um, we bear a greater responsibility as salespeople to use that information um, to gain as much understanding and insights as we can about our customers, who they are, uh, what they care about, what they value, how they're measured in their jobs, um, not just understanding our potential customers, but our customers' customers and how that drives their behavior and where the potential opportunities might be for us to help them. Um, and, um, and, and that's, that's a tremendous opportunity, um, but it's also, you know, it's presented a great problem because I still believe that the overwhelming majority of sales professionals don't do enough um, to understand their customers and how they might help them before they reach out because technology has also given us the ability to just blast people with noise um, and saturate all of these wonderful channels of communication that people enjoy uh, to a point. Um, and then until they get saturated, until there's too much noise, and then they move on to some other area. And we have the opportunity to follow them fast into those areas. Um, that's why I see the most successful marketing and sales organizations know how to exploit properly and ethically and intelligently um, new channels, emerging channels, um, uh, well before their competition does. Um, and when they're able to do that and do that well, um, they have a real opportunity. But they, they also, again, they bear that responsibility of taking the time, you know, go slow to go fast, to really understand who their customers are, not just at the organizational level, but at the individual level um, and the psychological level to really be effective in presenting their um, ideas, their products, their services to an organization in a way that's compelling enough for them to be willing to listen. 
Um, and a good example of that is, you know, count-based everything techniques, right? Um, how we can use a lot of different tools and resources and channels to, uh, to communicate our value propositions uh, to prospects. But I think it needs to be the right blend of technology and humanity together, mm. authentic humanity. Um, you know, to sell as human, as Dan Pink would say. Um, we're all in it, right? In the absence of force, you know, uh, sales is the, is the best way and persuasion is the best way to get people to move. Um, and that requires authenticity. Um, and it requires uh, that human touch. I don't believe that robots will replace enterprise sales because enterprise buyers don't want robots to sell to them. They want humans. Um, you can't choke a robot's throat when something goes wrong. Um, so there needs to be accountability at a human level. So um, continue to improve our authenticity, our humanity, our business market acumen, our emotional intelligence, um, uh, yeah, our ability to just generally communicate well um, in both directions is, is, is still super important. It's probably more important than it's ever been in fact, because I think that's how we separate ourselves uh, from the technology. Awesome. You know, speaking of humans, if you, you know, you've seen quite a few sales leaders and sales reps over the years, having been an investor, a sales leader, a rep yourself, what would you say the top enterprise sales reps typically do to like move deals faster through a cycle and get them to close quicker, generally speaking? I, I, it's, it's never changed for me. Um, it's one thing. It's always been the same thing. It's needs recognition. Uh, we need to align how we sell to how people buy and people buy. And there's a lot of data and research on this uh, to support this. Um, people have to recognize a need. Once they recognize a need, they evaluate their options. Once they've evaluated their options, they have to resolve their concerns and then they make their decision. And then every future decision is informed by their prior experiences of going through that buying cycle. Um, people don't know that necessarily that this is how it works, but we all do it. Um, if, your, if your phone breaks, you say, oh, I need a new phone or I need to fix it. And you openly, explicitly state that you have a need. Then and only then does the sales cycle move fast. The thing that happens, the dynamic that we don't recognize necessarily is, is that a lot of us will evaluate options, resolve concerns, um, and not make a decision because we actually didn't really recognize that we truly had a need. How many of us have gone through six month, 12 month, 18 month sales cycles, get to the bottom, think that we've got uh, an 80, 90% probability of closing a deal and then the customer goes dark. What happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. They never truly recognized a need that was compelling enough for, for them to make the change necessary uh, to make that decision. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Makes so, total so sense. How, yeah. So, how it, so, so, so then how does that change the sales cycle? Um, and what can you do? Uh, the best sellers spend 80% of their sales motion on needs recognition. Mm. Um, they don't move on until there's clearly been a mutual understanding 
that a, a need does in fact exist. Not necessarily a need to, to buy your product or service, but a need to make a change. And that need is clearly defined and understood by both sides. Because once that happens, the rest of the cycle goes very quickly. And you'll recognize that we've all experienced what I call trigger event selling, or actually Craig Elias coined that yeah. phrase. It's just selling. He in his, with the, shout out to Craig with the uh, orange yeah. shirt always, right? Yes. Yes. He is the orange man. I love Craig. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, he's got, he's got the, he, you know, I, the, there's that old joke of uh, everything somebody touches turns to gold with him. Everything he touches turns to orange. <laughs> um, but, but um, he talks about and defined, people who are actively seeking to make a change as they've already been, they've already had a trigger event that says, I recognize a need and they're raising their hand literally actively in the market looking for a solution. And when you find those people, what happens? Those deals go fast, right? A six month sales cycle becomes a, a, a 90 day, a three month sales cycle, for example, or a 12 month sales cycle becomes a, a four month sales cycle. And it's not because you were are any better at what you were doing today than you were yesterday, it's because you found somebody that already recognized that need. So they're actively seeking a solution, they're evaluating options, um, then they're getting the concerns resolved and then they're making a decision quickly. So, and this is important for two reasons, because uh, not, not number one, it's gonna reduce your sales cycles. Um, but number two, it's gonna help you get to know faster. And I mean, N-O because no is the second best answer in sales. And opportunity cost is as, 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 um, as critical or um, um, important as anything else in that every moment that you're spending um, working with someone that hasn't recognized a need is a moment you're not spending with someone who has. Uh, and so there's nothing wrong with with getting to that no as quickly as possible. And the best way to do that is through needs development. So you have to ask a series of investigative questions that, um, that uh, help you uncover whether or not there is in fact a need. And you have to do it with the most objective mindset possible. It's quite all right if they're not a fit. Don't be afraid to ask those obvious leading questions that there is uh, that we may not be a good fit right now, that you may not have budget, um, that there may not in fact be a need uh, because if you can get there faster uh, and get to that no faster, you can move on to the next person. Awesome. That reminds me of something that my sales leader back years ago when I was doing door-to-door -door sales used to tell me, he'd say, George, every no gets you closer to a yes. So don't worry. And uh, that it, it always was true. And then of course I'd get to the yes and I'd forget about the hundred no's that I just uh, had to deal with. So thank you That's for right. that. You know, if you think about the demo, of course we're all about the demo here at Reprise. What are great demos looking like these days? So, so there are, there are, um, there's a couple of things. So, a great demo is tailored to the needs you've uncovered. So you're not doing a stock standard demo that says, you know, from beginning to end, what you're doing is you're focusing the demo on the areas of need that you've already uncovered. Um, this is why I always say the last thing you do is demo, not the first thing. 
So I, I really object to sales funnels that are built with opportunity stages that include demo early because demo is, demo is a part of a process. It's not the end all be all objective, but we have this product first mentality instead of a customer and problem first mentality uh, that we've got to, we've got to flip. So if you are, if you truly understand a need um, the problems that, that, that create that need uh, and then the impact that those problems have on your customer's world, life, or business, then you can create a custom demo on the fly in real time that's focused just on those areas. So that's the first thing. That helps you tailor it for resonance so they can identify with it. So it's not about, here, look at this feature. It's about, you remember when you told me that you had this problem? Here's how we address that problem. And here's what that means to you. So that's the first thing. Then the second thing is, is that the overarching narrative needs to be a before and after story supported by real life examples from other clients like them. So you open with before, uh, you know, in today's world, this is how you do things. But once you have done this, this is what your after story is going to look like. So telling that before and after story really helps um, people um, understand the value that you bring. And then you need to use real life examples in each situation. So you might say, okay, well, we automate this piece of workflow. So before you used to spend all these hours on this. Now you get all that time back and the costs associated with it. And here's an example of, of another that we did that for. And here's what they've told us it's changed for them. Awesome. Well, on the other side, what do bad or poor demos look like in your, in your experience? They're almost always the same. They focus on the product and not the problem. Um, and um, it's very frustrating for me that still 80 to 90% of the demos I see are the same. Um, they're all about you. They're all about you and your product and not me and my problem. Here's the reality of it. People don't give a shit about our products. They care about their problems. Now, if your product can help them solve that, that's fantastic. But you need to view your product more as a byproduct of solving their problem, not an actual product, if that makes sense. Got it, got it. Yeah, totally makes sense. You know, we've been going through a lot needless to say over the last two almost what is it a year and a half now i can't even i don't even remember and you see a lot of sales leaders having to now transition to remote only where maybe a portion of their team was remote and certainly in more old school legacy type organizations they had zero remote remote right what are you seeing right now in terms of sales leaders strategies around driving resilience and continuing to keep you know folks on the rails throughout this pandemic so a couple of things the first thing they have to do is become very oriented around the individuals themselves about their state of mind their psychology their emotional state how are they holding up with what's going on because everybody's struggling in some way or another. So they have to create an open and safe space uh, and increase um, the engagement that they have uh, as not just teams, but as individuals. 
salespeople are by nature people people. And we need that human connection and we need that contact even more than the average person. So increasing, uh, becoming higher touch with your team, uh, creating more, uh, creating a safe space for them to, to tell you the truth about how they're doing and how they feel uh, without being judged, uh, creating more opportunities for, for uh, teams to, uh, to work together through education, through counseling, through um, uh, uh, team building events, um, the most effective leaders I'm seeing are really intentional about turning up the, the, the knob, if you will, around more engagement, more interaction, more time dedicated towards um, uh, uh, supporting and helping their teams in those ways. Awesome. You know, if you were to think about one tip that you give sales leaders uh, that uh, will help their enterprise sales reps really drive performance, one actionable tip, what would that be right now in 2020 or 2021, I should say? <laughs> sure. So I think during the pandemic, um, everybody has to recognize that all everyone's going through this same journey. And I call it the journey of the three R's. There's the response to the pandemic, there's the recovery from it, and then there's the reimagining of what your life and your business is going to look like going forward. So it's response, recovery, and, and reimagine. Um, so two things, targeting companies that are more resilient and, and are actually benefiting from the situation um, is, is one very obvious um, market segmentation um, activity that I think we need to be doing at the strategy level. Um, and then the second is becoming more oriented around the individuals in our customers, the same way I just talked about with our internal teams, trying to understand their problems and coming up with more creative ways of helping them. And it may not be through the obvious product that you provide today. It may be with additional services. It may be with some pivots. It may be with some um, coming up with adjacent solutions. To, tr to try and help them right now at the stage they are in their journey. Because everybody's at a different stage and they aren't necessarily at the same stage. Some companies are still trying to respond. Others are in recovery mode. Others are already moving on to reimagining what the future is gonna look like and how you might be able to help them. Awesome. Sean, thank you so, so much for your time. If folks wanna follow you on social or maybe learn more about your organization, what are the best URLs or social handles to reach you? Sure, uh, Twitter and Instagram is at Sean A. Shepard, uh, S-E-A-N-A-S-H-E-P-P-A-R-D. <coughs> they can follow me or connect with me on LinkedIn um, at LinkedIn, you know, forward slash Sean Shepard. Um, and then uh, our website is usertechnologies.com or u.plus, P-L-U-S for short. Um, and that's our corporate venture builder. Awesome. Sean, I hope to see you in person soon. Maybe I'll come out to Montana. I've never been if, uh, if you have me and hang anytime, out. And... Anytime between May 15th and, and October 15th every year, that's where you're going to find me. I promise. <laughs> awesome. out, we'll fly fish, we'll play golf, we'll, we'll hunt or, you know, we'll, we'll hike or we'll do whatever. It's a blast. Sounds amazing. And send uh, the missus my, my best and uh, have a great day. I will. Thanks, George.